This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Time travel, dinosaurs, and high society. Doing it all this week on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. I actually held this show this week. I was going to re- release it earlier, but I thought I've got some good interviews coming. I'm going to wait. And we're going to talk about La Brea this week with Chike Okonkwo, and he plays Ty on La Brea. The final season's airing right now. Got some pivotal episodes coming up. We're headed towards the home stretch of this shortened season. There's only six episodes, so. Going to talk to him about this midway point where things are going to be going. Also, going to be talking about Belgravia, the next chapter, which is going to be which has started already on MGM Plus. Got a new episode coming up this Sunday. Going to talk to Benjamin Wainwright and Harriet Slater about yes, this this interesting interesting next chapter of Belgravia. We're 25 years in the future now. So, going to talk about their characters and what's going on with the Trenchard family, and you know, of course. With with we've got we've got Clara coming into it, so got to talk about that as well. So it's so much great stuff to talk about. I'm also going to do my review of Marvel's Echo. I know a little late to the party on that, but I wanted to wait until I could dive in a little bit deeper without worrying about spoilers. By the way, Miss Marvel available now on digital HD. I'm going to be talking about that next week, and I reviewed that on next week's show. So if you were looking for that, that's going to be happening next week. Also, yeah, going to get dig, dig into some interesting nerd news. Yes, I'll talk about the Indiana Jones trailer. And a bunch of other, you know, maybe some stuff that you might have missed throughout the week. But up next, going to talk about La Brea with Chike Oconquo. Do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hello, this is Emmett Esmer from Blindspot on NBC and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, this is it, the final season of La Brea on NBC. And of course, you can watch it on Peacock after that as well. So you can watch it over and over and over again. But we got to know what's going on in this upcoming third episode and who better to ask than Ty himself? Chico Oconwoquo, man, how you doing? Doing very well. Thanks for having me, James. So look, so you're back in 2021. I, I want to go back a little bit earlier in the season for a second. As you guys were getting ready to start season three and getting ready to start filming, how soon did you know that Ty was going back to 2021? And what was your reaction to that? You know, I actually knew about that particular storyline quite early because myself and David Applebaum, the show's creator, we had spoken about Ty's backstory as early as season one, actually. And the reasons 
and the number of things that got him to being in the place that he was at the beginning of season one, which was he was wanting to commit suicide. He wasn't prepared to be on earth anymore. And so to get to that place emotionally, it was really important for me to understand what took him there. And quite a big part of that backstory, I'm very, very fortunate as an actor to be able to have that play out on screen now in this next episode. So I knew Ty was going to be back in 2021, maybe about a year a year before. I, I Well, I, we sort of had conversations about what that might look like. And then when the scripts came, I was really, really happy with the storyline because it's very rare in a show that you get to delve as deep as that. And I was very, very grateful that we were able to do it in such a fun, time-bending kind of way. No doubt about it. And I, I thought it was interesting because obviously you're back in 2021. It's, bef it's before the sinkhole and all of those things. And you could have gone, Ty could have gone to anybody for help. And he goes yeah. to Sam first. What Talk about the decision in his head to go to, why was it Sam was the first choice? I love I love that question. And I love the fact that, that Ty does, does that because Sam and Ty have built such an incredible bond since they won on this show. And, you know, I think for the two of them, they, they tend to be the ones who are the ones looking out for the group, the ones who are coming together to make solutions. Everyone, of course, is trying to get home. But I think Ty and Sam have built this kinship over the fact that they are wanting to support the group in the certain way that they do. So for Ty, it sort of made sense. It made he he thought that Sam would be the one to believe him. He thought that Sam's compassion and Sam's skill set might be useful as well. But, you know, Sam's a surgeon and an ex Navy SEAL and a loving father, and so I think for Ty, it felt like he could only go to the people who he was experiencing this with, even though they don't know him because it's before the sinkhole, of course. So it's before they've ever really met. So it's an, an, a great sort of addition to the genre of time travel, I think, where um, Ty has to make these really difficult decisions. But you're right, he 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 make, he picks Sam. And thankfully, uh, as we'll see in episode three, Sam is a good person to know in any time. Talking about difficult decisions in time travel and little rifts and things like that. So we've we've seen enough stuff for time travel to know that you can mess up a timeline pretty easily. So <laughs> how careful is Ty trying to be here? Because, I mean, we're talking about maybe, you know, people not meeting, babies not being, you know, conceived and all this different stuff. So how careful is he got to be here? But at the same time, he needs to get his friends back. He does. You know, in the La Brea universe, I feel as though we've added to the oeuvre of time travel in as much as, look, Ty, I'm sure, is very careful about one thing in as much as he knew that he couldn't encounter himself and he remembers where he was at that time. But he's very careful, as we'll see in this episode, to intervene in a way that he feels will be a localized intervention as opposed to a global butterfly effect one. So yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I'm sure there are maybe scientists who de delve in this world who uh, would have a, a thing or two to say about Ty's decision-making, but I think Ty feels very strongly that he can make an impact, a small impact in his own life without interfering with too much other things. All I'm saying is I was a little nervous, GK. I was a little nervous. And then I was like, okay, it's Ty. We're probably good. He's going to be smart. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. So I was just a little nervous. You know, I'm glad I'm, you felt like yeah, time, time travel. Hands. Yeah, the time travel and the timeline stuff just makes me a little nervous. But I'm glad. I'm glad it's 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 in your hands. I, yeah, I, I didn't wanna... want anyone being rubbed out in real time on photos, like in Back to the Future. Yeah, so that would that be good. <laughs> so I, I want to go back to there was a great scene that you had in episode two where you're talking about how he found his purpose. Ty found his purpose with his friends and all of these things. And, you know, and again, being very careful not to give the whole truth to the waitress there. But you talked about his mental state in season one. 
were you kind of worried that maybe in a weird way, yeah, you're back home, but were you worried that Ty maybe goes back to that place because he now has a secondary loss that he's dealing with and not, and not being with anyone anymore? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think he, at the beginning of episode two in season three, he has no one to talk to. He, like you say, he's sort of very much on his own in time and space, which is very existential, but he, he very quickly decides that, you know, like you like you asked before, that the only thing for him to do is to continue the mission that he had in 10,000 BC in the sinkhole, which is to, to support his, his his group, his family, his friends. Things about the show is that it, it keeps, you know, it does all the big adventure stuff, but it does keep an eye on the, the human stuff. It keeps an eye, and we, we're managing it in every episode in this season to, to make sure we keep the, the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is, you know, this group of strangers three years ago, uh, three seasons ago, three was well, probably only three or four weeks in in the show's timeline. But in in this in this timeline of the show, we've become a real community, and we've helped helped each other, saved each other's lives multiple times. And I think that that's a really bonding experience. So Ty, that bond is very strong for Ty, even though he has no one else to turn to in in twenty twenty one. All right, we know this episode, episode three is titled Maya. So we know we maybe we're going to get a little bit more about Maya. Maybe we're going to get a little bit more about this operation. How much can you tease for us about how much of that onion we're going to get ready to peel starting in this episode? Well, with an event season like this third season, it's only six episodes. We have to pack in a whole lot into a short space of time. And so you don't have to wait very long. So my lack of spoilers isn't going to be too distracting or, or annoying for your, for your listeners because... We really do get to it. Maya is central to the to the action that happens and that follows from this moment. But also Ty's journey in 2021, I will say, leads us in the right direction. And I think I'll leave it at that. But it's definitely, it, it was great that it's Ty, I think, that managed to get to this time, to, to this, you know, he was accidentally sucked into 2021. It's great that it's Sam and Gavin that he enlists and that leads them down the right track. So we'll have to wait and see where that where that track goes. Can't wait to see where it goes and can't wait to find out how this whole thing is going to wrap up the final season of La Brea, now airing on NBC. Of course, the new episode going to be coming up on January the 23rd. You're not going to want to miss that and find out all the stuff that Ty's cooking up for you. Chike Okonkwo, thank you so much, man, for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Appreciate you, James. Thank you. So I'll admit, I'm officially at the, I don't know how they're going to pack it all in thing for La Brea, but I, after talking to Chike, I'm thinking this third episode is going to be the one that really, really kickstarts this thing. I mean, they've definitely covered a lot of ground in these first couple of episodes of season three, right? But when you know you get six episodes in a season, especially final season, we're like, okay, you know, put, let's push the panic button here. Let's get moving. But you also don't want to move too fast. But I think that the deliberate pace that they've set here for this final season of La Brea, they, it seems like they really know what they're doing. So I'm excited to see how much we unpack in this third episode. If you've been watching the show from the beginning, I mean, it's, it's always had an intriguing premise and the way that they've dealt with time travel has definitely been very, very interesting. And I, I'm, I'm curious to see Ty kind of alluded to that in this third episode, how they're going to be a little bit careful about how they're going to weave that thing here in this episode. So I'm curious to see how they do that. But I mean, there's just so many great characters and so many reclamation projects as far as LeBray is concerned, character-wise, so many characters that are so different from when, where they were when we first met them in that premiere episode. And I, I just kind of want the best for all of them at this point, right? I just, want, I just want everybody to have that happy ending, and I hope we get something that at least resembles that. 
But episode three of season three of La Brea going to be on NBC this coming Tuesday and every Tuesday, by the way, until the end of the season. And oh, by the way, yeah, you can stream it next day on Peacock as well. So you can just watch it again if you want to. And you're going to need to because it's just been that good of a season in the series in general. It's just been so much fun. I've really enjoyed following these characters in the story along from the beginning. Again, thanks to Chike Okonkwo for joining me to talk about La Brea. Up next, let's switch gears a little bit. Talk about Belgravia in the next chapter with Benjamin Wainwright and Harriet Slater. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Amelia Jones from Netflix's Rock and Key, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I know you're watching Belgravia, the next chapter on MGM+, Plus, which is now streaming, by the way, because you can't get enough of this drama and this family and this and everything that's going on with these two, especially, of course, Harriet Slater, who plays Clara, Benjamin Wainwright, who plays Frederick. Ah, the Trenchant family. How are you? We are good. Thank you. Very How are good. you? Very, I'm very good. So I got to ask you, it's, it's the first episode. It's already out there. What's the fan reaction been like so far? Because there was a lot in that one episode. <laughs> yeah, it was dramatic, huh? It's been good, I think. Everything that we've seen so far has been good. Yeah, I think people are um, happy to be back in that world. Thinking we've been teed up nicely by the first season, so uh, yeah, it's good. A lot, a lot happens in that in that first episode. Speaking of being back in that world and everybody being happy, which we are, of course. Did you have to kind of dive in the both of you to some of that original series to kind of get some background, not just on your character, especially for you, Benjamin, but for you, Claire, as well. I mean, excuse me, Harriet, as well, to dive into what this family dynamic is really like. Yeah, I mean, for me, a lot of it was working out the family tree drawing various diagrams and just being like, so who, who am I? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think, I, I think we're in two slightly different worlds uh, from the first season to the second season. I think we're dealing a bit more with the kind of underbelly of it all. And I think season one floats around on top a little bit more. So that was, it was quite interesting trying to, trying to figure out, you know, what was under the surface, I think. What about for you, Harriet? I mean, I feel like I maybe had an easier job in that my character didn't exist at all in season one so I could kind of make up everything from scratch but I loved season one really really enjoyed it I thought it was brilliant and I I think we've been really lucky that it was so popular at the time and so we've already got the fan base there who will hopefully enjoy season two just as much no doubt about it Benjamin you said something interesting I want to kind of touch on it was just very quick but you know you said you were trying to find out you know who your character was who he was I don't know that he knows who he is because he doesn't know really yeah. how, so so how do you kind of unpack that how much is that you know past trauma define him and how do you get past something like that if you don't even really know what happened what's going on yeah it, yeah very good question and who knows if i answered it to be honest <laughs> yeah i mean we only had the scripts to go off and um the early scripts were arguably darker than than what ended up on screen so i think i was i was prepping a a different guy really but i think that that created a the kind of um well of i don't want to say shit but uh yeah you know i knew there was something there and that was that was kind of the direction i i went hard in to make sure that was that was there when i needed it but yeah i mean i, I, I he is a guy figuring himself out as it goes along and i think clara knows herself and that's why he's so attracted to her and that's what works about them and over the course of the eight episodes, we hope Frederick gets to know himself a little bit more. 
And Harriet, for you, I mean, obviously it's a whirlwind romance in the beginning. We get to kind of see it unfold the beginning of the episode. And then we start to see the cracks a little bit. She starts to get to learn a little bit more about Frederick's dark, darker past and darker side of himself. Does she kind of feel like she can reach him, especially in the early going? Because you could see her trying, but do you feel like she feels like she's really getting through it all? I think she finds it really hard at first because you're right. It is a whirlwind romance. And in all honesty, she barely knows the guy when they get married. I think she thinks she knows him or she knows a version of him. And then very quickly, like you said, the cracks begin to show and, and she finds out who he really is. And I think she's so desperate to help him. I think she can see how much pain he's in and how much he's struggling, but she finds it really hard to crack that because he isn't very open, which is quite different to her. She's not afraid to show her vulnerability whatsoever. And I think the family that she's come from has always been like that. They've always been very open with each other. And so I think his closed offness, she really struggles with, but she's determined to get there. This one might be a little deep, but follow me on this because, you know, mental health's a big topic right now in our society. Back then, not at all. Like there wasn't, there wasn't even a a second thought towards mental health, mental well-being, and things like that. So for the both of you, do you kind of feel like, especially from Frederick's perspective, and we see some other stuff as well mixed into the series, do you feel like the show kind of deals with that aspect of the 1870s uh, England, where there just mental health just wasn't even a thing? Do you feel like the kind of the show kind of digs into that a little bit? Yeah, totally. I think that's what that's. You know, despite being 1869, that was the first thing I thought when I read the first episode was like, this is so modern. And I know exactly what these this guy's problems are in modern terms, but he doesn't even have the vocabulary to deal with it. Who would you go to? Not not to your local physician. It's something too kind of shameful to talk about. And we don't even have, you know, the First World War hasn't been and gone. We don't have PTSD to talk about that, that kind of spurred all this research into mental health and all those things that, that really propelled it into the public consciousness so it's it is it's you know he's he's screaming inside and, and he doesn't know how to express himself apart from by you know trying to push it down and down and down and he's told to never ever cry by his mum and these are the things we hold on to and that, that govern our lives so you know i, I don't think I, there are still people like frederick on the planet i think and we're all waking up to it very slowly but it's a very modern problem, I think. No doubt about it. And for and for you, Harriet, I, I see Clara and, you know, she she wants, you know, her husband to be that person that she can go to. Anybody would want their spouse to be that person that she can go to. But her sister wasn't exact, exactly thrilled with the whirlwind romance. Mom was kind of caught up in the whole pageantry of it all. Are we going to see her maybe find somebody that she can lean on or maybe a confidant or something like that to kind of help her out? Because they, these are difficult times for her as well. Yeah, totally. I don't know how much I can say without giving any spoilers, but definitely I think she really does look for someone to lean on and someone who maybe understands marriage and and what it means to be part of this society as well, more than she does, because she's come from, you know, a different place and she's sort of thrust into this world and she she doesn't feel like she totally belongs there and she but she can't really say that to anyone because now she's got all these responsibilities. She's the lady of the house and everything that comes with that. And so I think she kind of leans on the Marquise a little bit, who's this older, wiser woman who she kind of maybe wants to emulate a little bit because she's extremely successful. She's a businesswoman, which is incredible um, for that time, especially. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, she wishes she could just talk to her husband about everything. And she tries to, but like you said, I think that's a really good question about mental health. And I think it is a big part of this show, which is brilliant because I don't think we see enough of that 
on screen. But I think the fact that Frederick so clearly is struggling with his mental health makes him makes you more able to empathize with him as an audience because he's not just a bad guy. He's not doing these things just because he's not a nasty. He's a nasty person. He's actually got a lot that he's dealing with and or not dealing with. And that's the problem. Absolutely. Talking to Harry Slater and Benjamin Wainwright from Belgravia, the next chapter, which is now streaming every Sunday, new episodes, by the way, on MGM plus Frederick. I wanted to go back to the whole family thing for you as well, because we, we, we learn about, excuse me, Benjamin, we learn about Frederick's brother. We know why there's tension there as an audience, because we see the flashbacks. We understand, you know, the backstory and things like that. Are we going to be able to unpack his relationship with his brother a little bit in this season? Fingers crossed. Yeah, I think uh, Frederick will go a long way to prevent uh, anyone finding out about his past. Um, let's let's say that. But fortunately, he's got a lot of people in his corner who will keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Uh, and and maybe some progress will be made. <laughs> All right. Now, I'm not trying to start any trouble here within the marriage. But at the same time, <laughs> I, I see things in, in, as I'm watching this thing. And and there was a little bit of a, it seemed like there was a little bit of a spark there between Clara and, and Dr. Ellerby. I'm not saying anything's going to happen, but it just seemed a little, oh, and, and you know, and Frederick's seems like a paranoid guy. So, so Clara, did you kind of feel that <laughs> as well in this first episode a little bit? Was there maybe a little something there? Or is this like, he's just got good bedside manner kind of thing? <laughs> Outrageous. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> he the doctor is from a very different world and i think that kind of attracts clara maybe like maybe she feels a little bit more comfortable in that world that he's a part of than she does in this new high society that she's found herself in but he he in contrast to frederick does talk about things and he advocates for mental health and and getting out in nature especially is something that they have a conversation about and how big of an impact that can have on your mental health which i think she understands and relates to and so yeah, I think it's there's almost like a solace in his company because she's able to just get everything off her chest in a way that she isn't able to at home. Benjamin, I, I see I saw the interactions between the Marquis and, and Frederick in this first episode. And I feel like it's kind of different. There's not necessarily a spark there, but there certainly seems to be a fascination there. We're going to see a little bit of maybe back and forth between the two of them or, or maybe something something going on between the two of them, even business wise. Frederick finds her incredibly impressive. She seems to draw everyone's attention to her in a very positive way and I think he wants to put his reputation beyond any doubt and sees her as maybe a vehicle for doing that for for greater social standing for greater wealth for greater kind of busyness because all he does is bury his head when when he's feeling down he works harder you know like a lot of people do nowadays and I think she seems to do this. She seems to work in such an effortless manner that he's he's drawn to her and her various achievements, uh, increasingly so as the, as the series progresses. Let's talk about the setting for this show, which is absolutely incredible. Do you just kind of, did you just kind of walk around on set every now and then and just get blown away at where you're out, where you are, your surroundings? Because boy, there were some beautiful set pieces just in this first episode alone. Never mind after that. A hundred percent, because they were all real. Like they weren't sets. 90% of the places where we were filming were actually old, incredible, humongous houses. And they they are just amazing. And coupled with the costumes that everyone's wearing, and it really did feel like we were there at times. It was pretty amazing. And Benjamin, I, I got to say, I don't know that I could pull off some of the sharp looks that you're pulling off. 
in this episode. Talk about this wardrobe department for the for the show as well, because I feel like you guys really it's it's not even just setting the tone for the time that you guys were in. I feel like you guys pushed the limits a little bit as well and made things a, a, a little bit extra fancy. Yeah, I mean, our costume designer, Phoebe, quite often the first person you meet on a job is the costume designer. And she's just an absolute genius. And she she creates these silhouettes that we just kind of step into. And so much work is done for you. And I had this cape. I don't know if you would have seen it yet, actually, but the cape that features quite a lot. And it was a, just such a pleasure to be swishing around in a cape all day. And the hats, you know, you kind of, you resent them because they're always like, where do I put this hat? And you're walking into buildings, do I take it off and I put it on? But actually then, I mean, I'm looking at the poster now in your background and like, she knows what she's doing. It all, it looks incredible. And that so much of it is, is what we see. So it's, it's nice to have that so taken care of. It's yeah, she's amazing. If I thought I could pull off that hat, I'd wear it all the time and I wouldn't apologize for it <laughs> at all. I just, I, I would just wear it everywhere I went and it wouldn't even matter. I'd wear it with t-shirts and look ridiculous. It wouldn't matter. It's just a cool hat. I'm just saying. You got a pretty good hat. Well, thank you. Thank you. So as you kind of look forward, and we don't want to spoil anything, obviously, but, and and I'll I'll do this one for each of you before I let you go. What's your biggest hope for your character coming up this season? Harriet, we'll start with you. That is a good question. I hope that she succeeds in getting through to Frederick in the way that she hopes to. And I hope that she is able to help him in the way that she wants to. And I hope that they become closer because of it. And I hope that she also finds her place in that world a little bit and feels like she belongs there. Benjamin, what about you? What about you for Frederick? I hope that Frederick kind of sees that his priorities are all wrong and appreciates who and what is right in front of him. And yeah, I think he needs to get to know himself for or he really gets to know anyone else properly. Well, we'll have to see how tangled this web is really going to get as the season unfolds for Belgravy, the next chapter, which you can stream new episodes every Sunday on MGM Plus and see what they've got going on because, boy, it is juicy stuff. Harry Slater, Benjamin Wainwright, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And if you've watched the first couple of episodes, you you sort of know where where, where we're going a little bit here, at least the first episode. But let me tell you, it... Things get a little bit more juicy as the season goes on, and boy, there's there's some there's some stuff happening. I I I really want to tell you all about it, but I can't. But I will tell you that if you were a fan of the original Belgravia, this one transition, this show, Belgravia: The Next Chapter, transitions so well from that original limited series, and really does expand on the story and the character work here is so good. And there's and it's not just. The family either it really goes beyond that and tells a deeper story of some of these other families and even the the the, the staff that's working for the families as well so there, there's a lot of stuff going on in belgravy the next chapter that's why you want need to be watching it every sunday on mgm plus yes new episode this sunday and every sunday and belgravy the next chapter i was i, I gotta be honest i was more impressed with it than I thought I, w- I was going to be. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward for you guys seeing the rest of this season. Again, thanks to Benjamin and Harry for joining me to talk about Belgravia, the next chapter. Up next, it's time to talk about what is the next thing for Marvel, and that is Marvel's Echo, which is now streaming, by the way, on Disney Plus and Hulu. So I'll give you my spoiler-ish review of that thing next. We'll dive in here on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey guys, this is Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Marvel putting the spotlight on a character that we first met in the Hawkeye series. Echo is now streaming all of his episodes on Disney Plus and on Hulu too, by the way, in case you didn't know that. I actually watched it on Hulu because I was on Hulu to watch something else. I was like, oh, that's right, Echo's out. So I got a chance to, to stream all the episodes. Not going to do too many spoilers. Not going to spoil the end in case maybe you've been thinking about this. You're like, ah, do I stream this? Do I not stream it? What do I do? So I'm not going to spoil the ending for you. That much I will tell you. There's only five episodes, so it's a quick and easy binge. The thing that surprised me, though, was this was a little bit more character-driven than I expected it to be. And it was very, very heavy on Maya Lopez's character. And I want to get this out of the way right now. Lachlan Cox did a fantastic job as Maya Lopez. I thought that she played the character very well. I thought it was very well acted on her part. The thing that kind of took me out of it a little bit was that, yes, we met this character in Hawkeye. Yes, we had a reason to care about this character. But man, you really, really had to care about her character to love this particular series. And I'm not even saying her story wasn't interesting, but you've got these, you know, these two worlds, right? You've got the world of, you know, her past with her family, her, you know, her actual family. And then you've got her past with her found family and Wilson Fisk. And you've got to kind of balance those two things. And, you know, she goes back home sort of thing. And, and does she kind of bring her life with her or was her life already there sort of thing where, where things already messed up before she get back? And all of these other things. Okay, so that's that, that that's part of what's going on here. So you really have to be invested in what's going on with Maya Lopez's life, I think, to really, really like and appreciate this series. And I kind of wasn't as much. I was expecting this to maybe lean a little bit more, and I know it did some. I expected it to lean a little bit more into her heritage. I actually would have been more interested if we dove a little bit deeper into the town itself and maybe not not focused so much on the, the past aspect, but I guess first you, you could make the argument, well, that's where the interest lies, right? You want to, you know, want you we want to talk about more about what happened with Fisk. Maybe we want to learn more about her family, and I would have, but I don't feel like we really did. I feel like they wasted a lot of time on time that could have been spent. Every time we had the 
you know, her, the, the flashbacks to the ancestral stuff and the Choctaw heritage and stuff like that. I'm like, where's more of this? And they seem to get away from it more so we could watch Maya ride her motorcycle around town more. If she drove by that sign one more freaking time, I was going to lose my mind. It's like, we know where we are. We know what she's doing. Can we get to more of the meat of this thing, please? I feel like it just took forever to finally get to the place where I wanted to be. Now, granted, the last episode, probably the best episode of the series, but you had, but but my interest was almost lost before I even got there. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest. I'll be totally honest with you. Cards on the table here, and don't be mad at me. I fell asleep during three of the five episodes that I watched. I did. I'm sorry, I did. And it it, it just got to the point, and it wasn't early on in the episode or anything like that. And I'm not a narcoleptic or anything, but it just didn't keep my interest like it should. Like when when I'm looking at this relationship between between like Maya and Bonnie, for example. I'm like, we need to unpack that more. I need a little bit more of that. And I don't need it just like in flashbacks of, of Bonnie being upset and telling Maya not to go and all this other stuff. I needed more of a deepening of that relationship. But I could I could have gotten more between the two of them. And I don't feel like we really got enough. And and then when you when you finally did bring Kingpin in, and I even thought that was a little bit too late. You brought you brought Fisk in a little bit too late. I know that part of it, you know, she's battling Fisk's goons and all the stuff like that. Maybe you don't bring that bring the big bad out right away. Okay, maybe I, I could I could be okay with that argument. But I feel like part of the selling point for the series was you were going to give me Fisk and you were going to give me a lot of Fisk and we, we, we had to wait until the midway point of the show to do that. And again, the five episodes, really? And you give this the Marvel Spotlight title. Why? Because you feel like you can make a TVMA if it's Marvel Spotlight and if it's more of a family thing if it's not. I just thought that that was kind of weird too. And maybe I'm getting a little all over the place here, but I feel like they could have focused more on the heritage aspect. If you're going to give me something different and you're going to do something outside the side of the box and you're going to put the Marvel Spotlight banner on it, which you did for Werewolf by Night, give me something that's totally out of the box that I can work with. Yes, you can bring the Fisk aspect in, but at the same time, I would have liked more of the background and the heritage and the stuff like that. I didn't need you know the, the, the mom and dad who weren't married anymore and that divorce drama and, and, and then them two like bickering and talking to each other and flirting with each other. I'm, I realize you're trying to set a tone here and be folksy and, you know, give more of a range of the, of the town and her family, but come on, I didn't need that. I could have gotten more of the, the intricate, interesting parts of her heritage and her family in the past. And, and, you know, the, and, and what we ultimately ended up getting at the end, right? The, like the, the, the boss moments that we had, in this final episode again, which I won't completely give away, but I, it, I just feel like the focus could have been more on something like that than to, than to kind of drag out the whole the you know the family drama and and the, the, there were scenes with Fisk that I even thought could have been a little bit longer. I thought you could have dragged that out even a little bit more than they actually did, and I just feel like that this was a series for me anyway. Just my opinion that there were missed opportunities there that I feel like could have been grasped and, 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 you know, capitalized on a little bit more and making this character driven and making you really want to care about what's cool was quite frankly, a secondary character in the Hawkeye series. I feel like if you were going to give me a spotlight for this character, you should have and could have done it in a very different way. Now they did give, have some good cultural aspects. They did, they did do some of that, but my frustration was, why didn't I get more of that? That's kind of what I was, what I was coming in for. I wasn't coming in for necessarily the, the spotlight and the, and you know, to, to be all invested in this Maya character. I could have, I could have done with the, you know, just her in her everyday life. I could have done more of the intrigue 
of her past and her family's past and where they came from and who they are and who they could become sort of thing. I could have done no I could have done way more of that than they actually gave me. So I was a little bit disappointed that I didn't get that until well, basically mostly the very end of this thing. So I feel like this was a missed opportunity for Marvel's Echo. I don't know if we'll see this character again. We know we'll see Fisk again. I thought the action was actually decent. I thought they had a couple of very good action scenes and and you know the whole daredevil thing i actually kind of felt like that was a throwaway it felt more like a steven seagal action scene than anything else i was a little disappointed with the daredevil action scene you give me that in the first episode and then you know you really really see much of that after that not that no nor do i think we should have either by the way i didn't think that that was something that even needed to be a part of it i think it was cool that we kind of got that mixed in there for for a couple of minutes but by and large i didn't feel like that was something that was absolutely necessary in this series. It was just an attention grabber and a reason to try and get people to watch this first episode. So I don't know. I kind of hope if they try to do something like this in the past, I mean, in the future, Marvel does, if they're, if you're going to do this, you know, give me more of a reason or, or lay way more of a foundation for this character than you gave me in this series. So yeah, Marvel's echo to me, little bit disappointing. Am I glad I watched it? Yeah, I know I'm going to need to know some of this information for future movies and shows anyway. So I'm not saying it's, it's, it's bad. I just feel like it was a show that missed a lot of opportunities that I was really hoping to be different and unique. I just don't feel like it set itself apart. Very forgettable series, unfortunately, for Marvel's Echo. That's going to do for my spoiler, I guess, ish, not really ish review of Marvel's Echo up next. Let's tackle some interesting nerd news. Let's kill some rumors, talk about some trailers, and do that next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Brett Bassinger from DC Stargirl, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. It's time for nerd news. And uh, I just got to laugh every time a story comes up about Madam Web because I never know what's going to be coming out next about this movie. You know, we've seen trailers, we've seen looks at it and all that stuff, and it looks it looks interesting. But here's something that might make some Spider-Man fans a little bit upset. I'll tell you why it doesn't necessarily make me upset. And that's director S.J. Clarkson, who was talking to Entertainment Weekly about the movie, about the upcoming movie, and she said that it is going to be set in its own standalone world. See, she said, quote, she'll definitely... She's definitely in a standalone world. I was able to have free reign and let the movie be what it needed to be as opposed to trying to force it into something else. That was a gift in a way to be able to take something and bring a fresh and I hope original take to it. Now, that might make anybody who loves canon scared, right? That's 100% something saying, yeah, we're going to do our own thing. You go, "Uh uh-oh. You know, when she said that to Entertainment Weekly, it was like, "Uh uh-oh. So, so this could go pretty much anywhere, couldn't it? But what you had to know with the, with the trailer, with the casting that they had, that this thing could go pretty much anywhere. You also had to know. I mean, let's be realistic here. We weren't going to get a Spider-Man in this thing. There, it's not like we we're going to have Tom Holland coming in. It's not like we we're going to have Andrew Garfield coming in. Now, will there be references maybe here and there to the Spider-Man character? I mean, probably, right? I'd like to think so. But I, I don't think that that's what you do this for. If you want a Spider-Man movie, like really a real Spider-Man movie, then it's got to be have the it's 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 got to have the title of Spider-Man in it. You got to stop going into these spinoffs thinking you're going to get Spidey swinging into them. You you're probably not going to see him in Craven, not going to see him in this. And I know No Way Home was a huge tease. I get it. All right, it was a huge tease 
Like, oh, Andrew Garfield, oh, Tobey Maguire, we're going to get all this stuff back. Oh, Tom Holland, what's going to go on there? Yeah, it, that was never going to impact anything. It just didn't seem like it was. It was a fun thing that they did. It was cool. It was well done. But at the same time, you, you, your, if your expectations were this is going to lead somewhere big, it was just this. What that was the big thing to get this to happen in the first place. That was the thing. That didn't mean that anybody was going to show up in any other movies. Now, could that still happen? It could. It could still happen. You never know, right? I don't think you rule anything like that out entirely. But at the same time, you gotta understand, at least on some level, that you're, 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 it's too complicated for these worlds to collide, especially with the whole Sony thing and Marvel Studios, a relationship that's, you know, they're playing nice together, but at the same time, it's not like everybody's allowed to do what they want to do and use each other's characters. And it's not like they're working together to commingle these worlds. No, no, no. If anything, I don't think they really want to work together that much. Sony agreed to share the character of Spider-Man because they needed the cash. Let's just be honest. They needed the money. They needed a little bit of a bump in their universe, even though they knew darn right well they weren't going to be commingling these worlds. Right? So they, they made this deal. Now I get it. Tom Hardy showing up in a in a post credit scene, in in, this, in in you know in the Spider-Man universe. So yeah, they are connected. Well, who said that that was connected to Madam Web? Nobody. Nobody said anything about that. So we don't know what Madam Web's connected to. And clearly, it seems like it's its own standalone thing. And you know what? Screw it. Let it be its own standalone thing. Because you know what? These female characters in the Spider-Man universe maybe do deserve their own spotlight. Maybe this is a chance to make something fresh out of these characters and maybe something that has some staying power as well, right? So you can have this world and you can have Spidey's world, whether that be Tom Holland's or or, or whether that be Andrew Garfield's, whoever you want, you can have that world as well. And if you want to end up connecting it to one of those, one of the, to this movie, to one of those Spidey worlds, knock yourself out. Just make it make sense. You have to make it make sense because if it doesn't, I'm going to be upset. And there'll be no reason for it whatsoever. And we don't necessarily have to connect everything. How many times do I have to say that? Let's stop acting like we need to shoehorn and connect absolutely everything together, especially when it comes to Marvel. Sometimes some of the best stuff you can get is stuff where you just let it be. Let it be what it is and enjoy it for what it is instead of trying to wonder how it ties in to all of these other things. Let's figure out a way to enjoy the singularity of things for, for once, shall we? Let's find a way to enjoy standalone things and just see what happens. Could it be a flaming dumpster fire this Valentine's Day for Madam Web? Sure. We, could we go to the theater and be utterly disappointed? Very possible. But, you know, it also could lead to something surprising and very cool. So let's give it a shot, shall we? Now, we still don't know what to expect from Superman Legacy. Not really anyway. We're going to have to wait until 2025 for that. But, you know, Variety just had an interesting little nugget of a report, and that's that you know, some future DC Studios characters like Batman and Superman and some others about to enter public domain. Now, not until like, what, 10 years? going to be a decade at least. So somebody asked James Gunn on threads. That seems to be the place where James Gunn answers the most questions. So I'm going to start trying to use that. So apparently somebody asked him if, you know, it's the the direction of the DC, DC Studios and the casting and all that had anything to do with this public domain stuff. And he said, no, no, story decisions were made based on characters becoming public domain. So then there is that. But he also had to have another rumor killer this week, 
where some random site, and I'm not even going to give them credit for it because it ended up being BS at the end of the day anyway, found some random posting about Ryan Gosling being cast as Batman, Bruce Wayne, in Superman Legacy. So here comes James Gunn. He's like, no, that's stupid. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. I would never quote James Gunn unless I was telling him. If I'm not direct quoting him, not putting words in his mouth, but basically he was saying that was stupid. It was untrue. And, you know, but this is the kind of stuff he's going to have to address, especially in the early going of DC Studios, right? And especially since we don't have, we don't have anything. We don't have creature commandos. We have nothing to base this off of yet, all right? So we, we've still got a long way to go in seeing absolutely anything that is DC Studios. I understand why somebody would say Ryan Gosling. I understand why you'd try and throw that out there. Visually, I can see it. And Ryan Gosling, pretty good actor. I mean, it's, it certainly makes sense. You know, coming off of Barbie, it would be a little bit weird to see him as Batman after being after being Ken. But it's, it's you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's possible. I think that Ryan Gosling would actually do a decent job as Batman. But I just, something tells me that they're not going to reach for that huge star when it comes to the Batman role. I mean, you saw what they did with Superman Legacy and their casting of Superman. I mean, Cornish, what's not exactly... A household name, right? People know, you know who he is, right? But at the same time, not a huge household name. I mean, even when James Gunn was casting Guardians of the Galaxy, these weren't, I mean, Chris Pratt was probably the biggest name. You could make the argument for Zoe Zaldana, but you, you could, Chris Pratt was basically the household name of the group. And he, and he wasn't even a huge, huge star yet at that point, right? He'd been in some stuff. People liked him. I mean, you hate him now for whatever reason, but People liked him, you know, people liked him, but he wasn't like a huge, huge star. So James Gunn doesn't tend to reach for huge stars for stuff like this. So I expect it to be a very surprising casting. When you finally do cast Batman, whoever the hell it is, it's going to be a surprise. I mean, could it be Ryan Gosling? Sure. You could you could pull a big star like Ryan Gosling if you want to. But I mean, hell, it could be Jensen Eccles. You, you never know, right? It could be somebody like that. It just depends on what he's looking for. And it depends on the vibe that they're going to create. And by the way, they still have to have a director for this Batman Brave of the Bold movie. And I'm sure that director would like to have a little bit of a say in who Batman's going to be, right? You know, like ultimately James Gunn's the architect and, you know, one actor's going to be playing this these roles across the board and whatever happens. So he's going to want a word in for that. But I'm sure that, you know, whoever the choice is for the director of Batman Brave of the Bold, and I feel like that director's already been chosen and I'm forgetting who it is. But but what I'm saying is, is that I, I think you want that director to have a little bit of a say in what goes on there. Right. Especially. And I don't actually expect Batman to be cast in Superman Legacy. Do you, do you need Batman in this thing? You've got plenty of characters in this thing already. So I don't know that you necessarily need to introduce Batman in this. But again, you never know. I'm not saying you don't you can't. But you don't necessarily have to do that either. So I, I just think it's very interesting. Very, very interesting that people are already trying to throw out random facts, or at least what they think are facts, about this, about who's going to be cast as Batman in the upcoming Batman Brave and the Bold movie and in Superman Legacy. I just don't expect that. Don't expect to get a huge star. That's all, all, that's all I'm saying. I, and do you need one? I don't know that you do. It could be a bunch of different people. I mean, let the speculation run rampant. 
And I expect everybody and their brother to complain about it once it does get announced because that's just what happens with Batman castings. <laughs> and it will probably forever. This one, this is news that if you're a comic book fan or you're a Turtles fan, might have flown under the radar for you. And comicbook.com was the first to have this one. And boy, let me tell you, I'm excited about this because Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, IDW Publishing, the comics, just got a new writer. And it looks like we're set for a complete relaunch of Turtles. And it's Eisner Award winner Jason Aaron. Yes, that Jason Aaron from Thor, you know, Wolverine, Ghost Rider, all the great work that he's done for Marvel. He's said, you know, he's, he's written for Batman as well. He said some good creator-owned stuff. Scalped was one of the things that comes to mind there was in the press release as well. So Jason Aaron, going to be the one that's going to be writing the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's been 40, it's the 40th anniversary. So we're going to go with something a little bit fresh, something a little bit different. Now, the first issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one, not going to go on sale till July, but, but Aaron will make his debut. There's going to be an oversized Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles alpha number one issue that is going to come out in June, and it will have a 10-page prelude to what is ultimately going to be in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number one. First of all, I think this is a huge get for IDW. I really, really do. This, this, this for IDW is a big fish to land. And, and if you're going to relaunch Turtles, if you're going to take that risk, and it is a risk. Now, the ongoing has still been very good, and they've obviously got a lot of different spinoff comics, and there's always going to be different Turtle stories in the comics world to digest. Okay, so it's not like... This is something that's going to be a, you know, a problem where, if, well, these aren't my turtles. All right, well, you're going to have probably two or three books that will cover that for you. So don't worry about that. You know, no complaining is what I'm trying to say. So, but you get a guy like Jason Aaron. Instant credibility with comics fans right there. And you say, well, you know, what's his familiarity with the turtles world? And I'm like, well, you know, who says he needs one? It's my response to that. And it might almost be better if he doesn't, right? But he's, he even called that a dream job. In the press release, when they ask him, he's like, all comic book, it's the dream job of all comic book dream jobs. So come on. He fell in love with Turtles as a kid, too. That's what he says. And he said it was because of the original Mirage Studios series of movies and, you know, buying the, you know, the issues off the rack that made him a fan in the first place. And I'm kind of paraphrasing the quotes that he gave here in the press release. But, you know, he's a fan, you know, just like you and I are. So if you're a Turtles fan and you want somebody relaunching this thing, which they were probably going to do anyway, right? Wouldn't you want a guy not only with the pedigree of Jason Aaron, but a guy that fell in love with the fandom maybe at the same age that you did, certainly close to the same age that I did, if I'm being honest. So this is one of those things where, yeah, I'm super excited for Jason Aaron to take the reins. And I think that, you know, I'd like to get, and I'm sure that we'll find this out at some point, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Um, part of me wonders if did they sign off on this? Did, do, did they have their blessing? Because I always like to have their blessing and stuff like this because they're the creators of the Turtles, okay? They're the ones that brought them to life in the first place. So if they're confident in Jason Aaron and they're happy, then I'm happy too. So uh, what I'm trying to figure out is, is that where is the story going to go? I think it's way too early to try and pack that in. But you know what I think we might get is we might get a little bit more of a serious side. To this story, and it got pretty freaking serious in the ongoing. If you hadn't been reading Turtles lately, things got pretty serious and got pretty heavy 
over the last, I don't know what, like 50 issues or so. Things have been pretty intense. I think Jason Aaron brings a, a good intensity to that as well. And I think when you look at his pedigree of work for Marvel, you kind of know that he's going to be able to set a different tone for the Turtles. What I think is interesting is the interpersonal relationships between the brothers and things like that. How is he going to deal with that? How is he going to write Splinter? I'm assuming Splinter is a part of this thing, right? We don't know where this is going to be set. But after I think IDW took the risk with The Last Ronin and how well that was done and how well that was received. And of course, that wasn't Jason Aaron. But you saw what they were able to do with The Last Ronin. And they went, you know what? If we could do something different. You know, this is this shows that if we could take a risk sometimes, do something different then we could really get some people's attention and put out some really good work. So now felt like a good time and, you know, less of a risk to relaunch Turtles and see what happens. This doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be an automatic success just because Jason Aaron's involved. Pretty damn good chance because Jason Aaron's involved, but not a slam dunk. But I got to tell you, I can't wait till July to read this first issue and see what Jason Aaron's going to do. Because I think he's going to knock it out of the freaking park. So, well done by IDW. Big get for them. This could be huge going forward. Because Turtles has been doing really good stuff for IDW. And it could, you know, that's going to trickle down at some point. As well as some of the creator own stuff. So, I'm excited for that as well. Yeah, there's a new Indiana Jones game that's coming out. And this trailer was released at the Xbox developers kind of presentation that was happening this past week. So, no, I don't know if this is going to be on PS5. Doesn't seem like it. But Indiana Jones and the, and the Great Circle, which is going to be out in 2024. Wink, wink, nod, nod. We'll see. It is video games. Let's you know preface it with that. It's going to be set between the events of Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Last Crusade. So the, the description says, you know, it's the year's 1937. Sinister forces are scouring the globe for the secret for the secret to an ancient power connected to the great circle and the only person that could stop them is yeah, of course indiana jones and you'd obviously play as indiana jones you've got the minds behind the wolfenstein series they're going to be doing this executive producer and game designer is todd howard in this and yeah the the gameplay trailer looks pretty darn good it, it looks you know it looks like indie as it should now if you're wondering who's the voice of indiana jones no it's not harrison ford but it's our boy troy baker gotta be happy about troy baker being the voice of Indy, if it's not going to be Harrison Ford himself, then I absolutely 100% am fine with Troy Baker being the voice. And you could tell that he does a really good job in this thing as well. And I like that we're going to get, you know, we're going to get the fisticuffs, but we're also going to get the the puzzles. And it looks like we're going to get going to get to go to some historic locations as well. And maybe even get a little bit of a history lesson mixed in a bit too. But I will say as far as gameplay goes, and this is completely unfair and I don't care. The, as far as gameplay goes, as I'm watching more of this gameplay footage, I'm like, this feels very Tomb Raider relaunched to me. <laughs> it just felt so much like when they relaunched Tomb Raider, and that was amazing what they were able to do with the new Tomb Raider games when they first started doing those again. But it's just the the, ga- the initial gameplay here just felt a little bit like. By, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that because those both of those games were spectacular. So if you're gonna be if you're gonna be like those games then nothing wrong with that. I know what you're going to say. Hey, Indy came first for Tomb Raider. True, but Tomb Raider games came before an Indiana Jones game as far as the modern times are concerned. So, you know, it's kind of an apples to uh, apples to oranges 
type comparison if you're going to make that argument. Yes, Indy was first before Tomb Raider. And Tomb Raider, if anything, you know, was modeled after, maybe somewhat after Indiana Jones, right? But at the same time, let's be honest with ourselves. As far as video games are concerned, this thing looks like Tomb Raider. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, again, either. So I'm fine with it. I really hope that there's there's good, intricate gameplay here. There's a nice mix of, of problem solving and a good story flow and everything like that. It just seems like this game, this is what I want from the future of Indiana Jones. Give me some games. Give me some stuff that's that's a little bit different and set it in different timelines and things like that. And stuff that we're going to know, stuff that we're going to be able to connect to. Don't try and reinvent the wheel with this thing, okay? Just give me give me something like this. Even even animation stuff. I've been talking about it maybe an animated Indiana Jones movie for a while now. I don't think there'd be anything wrong with that at all, but you know, let's let's stick with this first. Let's stick with the Great Circle first. Hopefully we do get it in 2024 and there's no delays. If you're a PlayStation fan, you're hoping that it's going to be on PS5. I don't know. You might have to keep hoping. No no official announcement on that yet, so we'll have to wait on that. But, you know, fingers crossed that this game is good and it opens the door for cool stuff going forward. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks so much to my great guests from La Brea and Belgravia in the next chapter. Of course, Belgravia got a new episode coming up on Sunday. La Brea, episode three of season three, going to be happening on Tuesday on NBC, so that's where you can get that. Follow along online at downandnerdypodcast.com. Also follow on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter. Excuse me, X, whatever. Also on Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook, at downandnerdypod on TikTok. Social is going to be a little bit different coming up. Going to tease that for you. Of course, coming up on a 500th episode. And yes, there will be some changes coming to the show as well, but don't worry. The show does go on. I'll tell you more about that coming up next week. But right now, don't forget, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.